Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. I don't really need to touch the steering wheel there, Tom. Oh, I'm sure there's some math. So SpaceX, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, landing a rocket on a drone ship is key. Charger, 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 <laughs> charger. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? Safely. Charger, charger, charger. <laughs> you know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. You don't even have to I remember that. You've got a Model X. I have seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. Welcome to Talking Tesla 188. Talking Tesla 188. Out of my right eyeball, I'm looking at uh, SpaceX. Oh, are you watching it? In my left eyeball, I'm looking at you. So what's going on with SpaceX tonight? We're, uh, we're in the middle of a launch. We're about seven minutes from launch. I believe this is a Starlink launch, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes, it's the that 15th correct. Starlink launch. We had a launch over the weekend of a of a global uh, ocean satellite that was basically going to check the rise and fall of the ocean from space within centimeters, literally within centimeters. What a waste of money because there's no climate change occurring. So why would you spend $400 billion on that stupid I, thing? I did have a friend of mine call and say, why don't they just hang a rock off a pier near the shoreline and <laughs> test it that way? <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, that would be simpler for sure. My guess is way less accurate, though, way less accurate. You have to have a lot of people with a lot of rocks across a lot of parts of the ocean. <laughs> a lot of rocks, yeah. We're going to need a lot of rocks. That's for Well, sure. for a billion dollars, you can... Employ a lot of people to measure ocean. That's a good point, Robert. They need a billion, a billion people, ten dollars an hour. You get a lot of people going. Just like, hey, can you go hang a rock, measure it? The Green New Deal. (laughs) Green New Deal. Deal. I'm part of the Rock Platoon, uh, checking the ocean. Yeah, it's like the old CC. Was it the CCC uh, by FDR? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have people out there uh, measuring uh, the. The height of the ocean and people pulling up. Solar nice I thought the people- CCC was the California Conservation Corps. Is the was there a CCC that was more nationally based? Yeah, national. I, I think it was national. At least you know I was in New Hampshire in what junior mm-hmm. high school or something, and we learned about that. So I don't think we were. It, it's pretty much all of the infrastructure of the United States, as far as I can tell, was built during that period, and we've been living pretty ever since. It's time to have another one. Hey, this is the time to do it well, when still- there's a. A pandemic and um, the economy is, you know, not doing awesome. It's a perfect time to to spend money in a in a good place, and you know whether it's solar panels or or batteries or or uh, windmills or whatnot. You know, we can decide how or, we're going to or murals, murals. Rocks. There's Rocks. some really great murals around that were done. That's true. in the 30s. That's yeah. yeah, Diego Garcia. No, no. Diego what was his Garcia. name? Rivera, Diego Rivera, Rivera, Diego Rivera. Yeah, he did the Coit Towers, which is really impressive. And they did the murals all through UCSF, the history of medicine. It's amazing. Yeah, but I will say that I think what they're doing is they're waiting for the last of those projects to finish completion, and that would be the the, the cement to cure inside the Hoover Dam. They're still waiting. It's just like it's almost finished curing, but as soon as that's done, that's the end of that project, and they can kind of start a new one. It's kind of the, the deal. And it's crazy that now uh, dams are not considered 
as environmental as, um, or, you know, environmentally friendly as they were once believed to be. Yeah, because they were never really environmentally friendly, Joel. We that was all why they sold us. I mean, the the energy they produce is great. the The property they destroy behind them, however, is, is somewhat problematic. Also, the habitats for the fishies and and the other sorts. Mm-hmm. Of Can you say the Three Rivers Hatch, Gorge Hatchy. is not uh, oh. is not environmentally friendly as they destroy like how no. many millions of people got moved for that. Millions, yeah. like it's like 1.5 million people or something, and like ancient sites. And it's like, nah, it's all good. We're just gonna damn this thing. It's all good. Yeah. If you we're guys wanna, if you guys wanna out. take any of that ancient sites with you, you better take them now because uh, right. we're gonna we're gonna put them underwater. But you know, the again, China needs power. They need uh, energy. So that Including was uh, that was a all your relatives. Yeah, all your dead relatives. Two minutes. I mean, you know, we we don't. Two minutes. We don't. We don't have a lot to say. We've put dams up. You know, how many dams do we have on the Colorado River alone? I'm damned if I know. <laughs> oh, so good. My God. So good. Damn humor. That's some damn fine humor. <laughs> uh, damn it. That's pretty good. Well, I'm watching, I'm watching a Falcon 9 here. It's all like streaming yeah. white, white uh, so are clouds. We, are, are we Vandenberg or Cape Canaveral? Canaveral. Cape Canaveral. Cape baby. Are we landing on the on the, on the ocean? This is remarkable. This is remarkable because it'll be the seventh reuse of this booster. Never. Uh-huh. This is a world first. This is history right now is being made while we're recording talking Tesla. And hopefully they can catch the fairings and they can get the booster back. That'd be pretty baller. This is one minute till launch. Have a nice feed from SpaceX. You know, I have to say that SpaceX should be like nominated for an Emmy because they put on these fantastic productions. There really isn't anybody. I mean, like there, there really isn't any other uh, space launch organization that can rival SpaceX's media prowess. Like Electron, they do a pretty good job, but they don't have the money for the the, the good graphics. They don't have as much information flowing out. Um, did you guys watch? I do like their oh. graphics package. I will agree with that. I used to really enjoy watching the space shuttle launches, though. Those were pretty good. All right, here it goes. We've got 20 seconds. And Rocket Labs, I think, does a pretty good job as well. Yeah, they do a good job. 20 seconds. They're probably number two. Here, Elon just tweeted, this is a life leader launch. No more. Five. No more. Four. One. No more risk. Two. One. So Poof, more risk than, than normal. normal. There is lots of so more risk rocketing than stuff I don't know occurring. what that means, but... Boom. Engines are lit. I think off. that probably means with the seventh booster reuse, they're probably taking more risks than normal with this launch, would be my guess. Yeah, they, the no initial risk. Yeah, the, the initial idea no behind it more. was to have 10 launches per booster. So we're at seven. So and very successful. So we have liftoff. We are uh, approaching 400 kilometers per hour. We're 1.8 kilometers above the the Earth at the moment. Everything looks, as they say, in space. Nominal. Now, why don't they say copacetic anymore? I, I like that one. Did they I used to say that? Idea. I don't think I've ever heard them say copacetic. That's pretty yeah, in cool. the 60s they did. But maybe that was only on really? the born in this. I was born at the end of the '60s, Joel. So we have no idea. How old are you? Yeah, I was born at the end of the '60s too. Are we? What? What's your? When's your 68. birthday, Joel? If you don't mind me asking. May fifteenth. What, what month? 
February 3rd, 69. 1868 or 1968. Uh, I was born in February. All right. They just got through Max Q. And the thing is is still firing. It's still firing. There's no explosions. It's looking gorgeous. You know, this is not going to be interesting to people listening because it's already occurred and they know it didn't <laughs> right. blow up or Let's, it did blow up. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll tell EJ just to cut this all out. 15,700 uh, no, uh, kilograms of uh, for payload. 60, 60 Starlink satellites. Is that the payload once again with the new with the new coating and the new visors that don't work yeah, on it? We haven't heard much about that at all, but yep, that's the case. We've heard they don't. We've heard they don't work. We've heard that much, but that's that's okay. I mean, I guess you know what it's like. Astronomy investigation into our planetary system, broadband internet everywhere. It's like it's six and one half dozen of the other. Yeah, well, this will definitely affect more people. I guess there was a guy who on the internet. I think he did a YouTube. I don't think I got this from you, Joel, or did I? He ripped apart two of the antennas. Okay. That was pretty cool. Are we talking about that today? I didn't get through all the notes. No. We, we didn't have it in the notes. Um, I've actually reached out to him to see if we could talk to him on, on Talking Tesla. Um, Look, you cannot set that up and not finish it. What the hell are you talking about? What antennas? <laughs> okay. Finish the story, for God's so sake. A guy in uh, Nova Scotia who has a YouTube channel. Canada. Yeah, Nova Scotia, Canada. 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 That's where the locks comes from. Oh, we have stage Beta. separation and... Second engine lit. <laughs> yeah, he's he went into the beta program for Starlink. He got a satellite dish, and um, I guess his brother did, who lives really close to him. So he's going to share internet with his brother. But he took completely took apart the the dish, the satellite dish, to see what it looked like. So mm. part of the thing is, right. is and, um, and before that, he had about seven YouTube followers, and now. He has seven million YouTube followers. <laughs> he's, he's got, he's got, he got a little bit more for sure. Completely took it apart. It took him a while to do it. And so the interesting thing about the the dish is that it is indeed a phased array antenna. And up to this point, people couldn't get that antenna underneath under like five thousand, three thousand, five to three thousand dollars or so. And what a phased array antenna does, instead of you having to physically point it in many directions, it can electronically point itself in the sky and um and then also the the antenna cost uh well uh people it costs five hundred dollars for for you to get the equipment whether you know they're not paying for the whole thing or not we don't know but um it's a big deal uh that it's as flat as it is and it's as cheap as it is so he did some nice work i don't know if he's going to get in trouble or not from um from starlink or spacex but Definitely interested to see his next video. He had one that came out on Sunday, and then we go from there. Was he able to put that thing back together? Because I used to take all kinds of things apart when I was a kid, and it's like maybe 25% of them I was able to get actually back together. I I did that to my grandmother's um, uh, locks on my (laughs) grandmother's house when I was like maybe 12 or something, and she had to buy all new locks. Oh, (laughs) no. I did that with telephones. I did like four different telephones, but they all worked when I put them back together. Is your name Melvis? Just out of curiosity, Robert. Like, it's like did you see here. the guy from Will It Blend? And he took one of those satellite dishes as well and see if it blended. No, I can't really? support that. Will That's it blend? Oh, will it blend? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Okay. 
Yeah, put it That's in like amazing. a neutral bullet or something. That seems, I'm sorry I actually made you say that after I interrupted Robert and was insulting to Robert and that's what you came <laughs> up with. Right, so just remember who who loves you, baby. Yeah. So he did I'm put it back to together. You know what? I'm sorry, Robert, I apologize. Um, he did yeah, put no, it back together though. Yeah, that was a great though. thing. Yeah, so. Did it work? Um, yeah, so what he did was is um, he he took off all the plastic on the outside but did keep the mounting points and was able to repoint it towards the sky. And I think he, when, when the episode ended, I think it worked, but it, it looks like it was going to work though. Um, because he didn't really bring it. What kind of a, what kind of bandwidth was he getting in the beta program? Did he talk about that at all? Not yet. No, he, he, he did report on other folks, but he didn't report on what he had before he tried this. I was going to, try to shout out his name maybe we can put it in the notes uh, i can't seem to find it right now but it's pretty good yeah well now that we've it's... already shattered and shredded the notes sure <laughs> <laughs> the uh, bandwidth that people have been getting is been improving a lot though you've seen that like they i don't know they're getting from Oki data or whoever it is but uh it was pretty slow to begin with and it's getting faster and faster so the beta testers are sharing i don't know if they're allowed to but they are sharing all right, so it's we're having the entry burn now, stage one entry burn. That's the first big burn to slow the booster down a bit while it's going back through the atmosphere. We're landing on like seven I, of minutes course after I love launch. You. Uh, one of the drone ships. I don't remember which one. Of course, I love you. Me too. I yeah, love I know you. that Joel, but Joel. which one is it landing on? <laughs> of course, I love you. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it's about 633 kilometers, which I'm going to guess is about 360 miles. Is that what that is? I was going to say, yes, sir. Okay. It's 0.6. All right. There you go. I was told there would be no math on this show. So there's either, either on this show, we talk all talk over each other or nobody says, what'd you say, Tom? Seconds at a time. I was going to say that this is uh, sounds like the worst Zoom meeting ever, so we really do need to get to the place where somebody is running the show. Who would like to run the show for the next uh, oh, oh, three Oh, please. Hours? I would love to run this show. would love then to run this show. Then you're in charge. You call on people, and let's make this thing happen. Go. Oh, oh, All right. Mr. So Carter. We are Mr. Gonna, Carter. Oh, we, oh, oh, oh. We are gonna, we're going to stop talking about this Starlink mission for a few minutes, and we're going to move into... Uh, the first article, and I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I see your hand. What but I want to know Tom, first and fo- first, I want to know first and foremost. From- They're about to yeah. land. No, I agree. Shut up, Ted. <laughs> Who? They're showing okay, it right fine. here. You know what? You're in charge. So, sh- everybody, be quiet. We're about to land on, on a thing, and and I will. So we're seeing a picture of the of the of the ship out in the middle of Florida of the Atlantic Ocean. Here it comes. There's a really bright light. Uh, everything goes kind of blurry for a minute. Now dark, and we have landed. Nice. So we will be able to see that fly the, for the eighth time. And I will tell you, of all of the things, there's two parts, three parts of the launching of any SpaceX mission that are most exciting. The initial launch, when it doesn't explode, liftoff. Mm-hmm. The part where the thing lands. And the cool shots they have when they put the payload out into the world those three things are awesome what i would really love to see start to see is video of the fairings being caught on a regular basis now that would be very cool live 
and I would also like him to rename the fairing boats Yola Tanga, which is I got it. <laughs> like for in honor of baseball. I think that would be hilarious personally, but you know, that's that's just me. Okay, so the next thing that's going to happen on this uh, launching situation is they've cut off the main engine and we're about to have they're showing uh, the payload. The fairing has been deployed. They're showing the payload, which is all of the, the lovely Starlink satellites. And in a minute, the whole satellite array is going to disambiguate itself from the thing. And then they're going to slowly separate into space and, and, and stretch their legs and get a little bit away from each other until a couple of days from now, they'll all be in orbit. And on that note, Melvis, where is the tequila what's the update on the tesla tequila that is a very very important question i have received no further emails they were very quick very quick to take the 500 dollars rapid ah, rapidly taking the 500 dollars and okay. telling me we took your 500 dollars there has been uh -huh. no follow-up as to what's happening with tesla okay. zero okay. nada right. nothing back so at you. no no alcohol robert is drinking some alcohol i believe over there i probably would you like to tell the audience uh, what you're drinking tonight robert because you're such a tequila head i'm drinking a fine blended uh silver tequila blanco tequila or blanca tequila um this one is in honor of nosotros which i have not yet been able to try because as Mel has said, they are missing in action at this point. Not going to get it for Thanksgiving, I don't think. And this one is, um, oh, I'll have to go grab the bottle because it just dropped out of my brain what the name of it is. But it's, uh, it's a fantastic tequila. I think I actually talked about it last show. Okay. Well, we'll move on. Who added? The first article on the list is... Dinos is titled dinosaurs could have survived i would love to know which one of you oh shocking it was robert that added this so this is a show on technology and the the hatred on some levels of all things fossil fuel and robert would like to talk about the creation of fossil fuel so so please what? robert what are you well, talking dinosaurs about? Dinosaurs were the creation of fossil fuel to a certain no, extent. No, it was like, all of the plant matter that caused that led to the I creation. Know. It was of a joke, fuels. Robert. But please let, let like please tell us like wax poetic about how the dinosaurs could have, should have, would have survived. Had well, it this not is a refrain. Before. This is a refrain. Of a lot of people who say, "Oh, you know, man-made climate change. None of that matters." You know, all it's going to be is an asteroid. That's what we really need to worry about. We're not going to kill ourselves off because of climate change and burning stuff and so on and so forth. And they and people say, um, well, you know, there's uh, in, in this article, the researchers looked at a lot of the data and what they have come up with was that if that one asteroid had not struck the planet and as we talked about in a show some time ago, Tom, did you, was that a signal that meant something? No, he's giving me the finger, not the finger, a finger. Uh, if the dinosaurs had not been uh, wiped out, not all of them, but most of them wiped out by this asteroid that, that hit the earth and it sent off all this dust in the air, which rained down as molten glass, which we once covered on the show, which was a horrific like turn of events, if that hadn't happened, 
we would probably not be here today podcasting to you from our lovely, um, you know, homes and abodes. We would still be being chased by Tyrannosaurus Rex and Velociraptor because the dinosaurs were doing great. They were doing great. They were doing great for like a million years, many millions of years. And if that asteroid hadn't come and opened up the opportunity for us, they would still be here. However, it just, what's with the fingers? <laughs> if it wasn't, Dude, Robert, you're going to have to Robert, learn not on, to be distracted. Stop, Robert, <laughs> if Robert, it wasn't Robert, for the asteroid. Just keep talking until I call on someone else, Robert. I have to, I'm giving hand signals I to the other that. people, Robert. Yeah, this just, is amazing. Shh, I didn't go to the talking. hand signal just, class. Just, just, I didn't catch what talking. all the hand signals mean. This show sucks. Mel, you're in charge. Take over. <laughs> if the asteroid hadn't hit us. So now this gives us the sense of why it's important to go to Mars, why it's important to go to space, is that we're not going to be able to, particular. you know, we may think we have the power to divert an asteroid from striking us, but the last time we covered an asteroid, and I can't remember the name of it, it was like a Hawaiian name, Omalumask, Omaluma. I can't remember the name of it, but when that thing came at us, it was already here by the time we discovered it. It had already gone past us. And everybody was like, wow, if that thing was just off by a fraction of a degree, we'd be done. And so this story about dinosaurs could have survived coming from CNN, where they quoted these, uh, I think they were British scientists. Uh, It tells us that we are vulnerable and we need to keep on this road of establishing outposts elsewhere so that we may survive. I know Tom won't survive because he doesn't want to go to the outposts, but we must continue. I don't want to go to the outposts. So, So I look at it as kind of an evolutionary trend, right? So like the dinosaurs got disappeared by the, by the asteroid and, you know, you could argue one way or the other that we've added quite a bit to the history of the world. You could argue that philosophy and all kinds Mm -hmm. of art and, and, and tequilas and and other things. And so the next, if we get off this planet, for instance, a couple thousand of us, because that's all it's going to be like go to Mars. And then the other, they get to sit on Mars and watch the other 6 billion of us wiped out by an asteroid, (laughs) which will be really fun for those of them living on Mars. Not to mention the fact that if earth gets destroyed by a meteor, there might be some debris that gets shot out and has some impact on Mars anyways. But, but we'll let that part of it go a little bit. And, and, and then, but what will then what then what then like two thousand people are going to come back to this planet and stop whatever progress would have been made by the next generation of arthropods or omnipods or whatever would have been next after us. It's just the hubris of the human race, in my opinion, and I've spoken of that. Melvis, would you like to make a comment? Uh, two comments. Uh, one, Jurassic Park. I think we're up to thirteen. So Jurassic Park fourteen <laughs> should be where humans. And um, the dinosaurs are living together and what would that look like technologically? How big would mm-hmm. your houses have to be so that you wouldn't get killed? And would we have to be subterranean? It'd be, it'd be a really interesting thing. Um, yeah. And then uh, the second thing is there's a book called Seven Eves, which you should listen to, where a giant asteroid hit. No, it's actually the, the moon. A, it's like an anti-matter like thing hits the moon and it splits it up. 
and then it splits again and it splits again and then it's sort of the end of the earth as we know it. And it's a really good book. So I'm just saying, Seven Eves, go check it out. Joel? Throwing in a media pick early. Uh, I think for myself, I, I would go to Mars, but I wouldn't want to stay there. Um, but I don't think it's a, a bad... Well, actually, from um, the there's sort of two ways to think about what we could do if we were in space. One is Bezos's sort of plan is he'd like to get most of the industrial, the heavy industrial things off the planet. Um, and Elon would like to get us to another planet. And um, I sort of like the Bezos's plan. <laughs> it might be sacrilege for talking Tesla, but I kind of, I like the Bezos plan a little bit more. His thinking was, is as we increase the, our energy demand, and if we are completely renewable, we'll take up more and more of the Earth's surface until such time as we wouldn't have enough surface to actually use in order for at least those renewable sources. I'm hoping fusion comes around at some point, but let's you know go with that thinking. Getting all of the industrial things off the planet is a good idea, and if if something you know medium size like these asteroids hits a planet there could still be enough people off planet to eventually come back in a hundred years or something when the planet cools down a little bit. But, um, you know, if the moon breaks up, then well, we're, that, that, that planet screwed for, you know, millions of years. Maybe it's never gets back to normal again. So that's my thinking. Screw the pooch. Which, what I don't, can you explain okay. one thing? I don't understand. I don't haven't read about that. So if we do get to renewable energy, hundred percent renewable energy, somehow we will just like reproduce like rabbits and fill the entire globe. Is that the uh, basic idea? No, no. I don't know if you talked about, there's something that I, I think I'd need to do more research on in terms of population growth, but actually in terms of energy growth, the, the amount of energy that we're continuing to, you know, if you look at the, the, the track of how energy is in, our energy demand is increasing, even with efficiency levels, at some point it would be, maybe it's a thousand years, at some point it would be more than than what we could actually get from just the planet itself. Or you'd have so many solar panels, you'd cover up all the landmass and the earth. And that his thinking was essentially, let's move industrial processes off the planet and we bring things back to the planet if we need them, but not sort of scar and degrade the, the planet as we know it. Maybe, um, you know, there's some people that think that the population is actually going to collapse in 2100. And if that's the case, then maybe there wouldn't be this large increase in energy demand. But either way, if we, if we start to stretch our sort of interplanetary legs in some way, like Moon or Mars, I don't think it's a bad thing. And it may not cost all as much as we think it will cost um, in 20, 30 years or something. Right, but, okay, so please explain. We're doing all of our mining, let's say, off of the planet. Um, how does that mean, how are we getting energy from that? Well, if you can get silicon from off the planet and you can get metals off the planet, what could you do with that, uh -huh. Tom? Oh, you tell me. You're the smart one. Make some batteries, Joel. Make some batteries. Make some solar panels, <laughs> and you have the entire. Right, but you just said that we're already covering the planet in solar panels, so that doesn't make any sense. I'm curious. In like, space, you're talking about production. In space, I'm talking about. 
you put solar panels in space with like a wire uh, coming down like we're charging the batteries in space yeah yeah there's more this is a longer conversation but you can actually bring it's it doesn't make a lot of my sense my brain is going to explode hmm? My brain is going to explode. So you're saying you produce the energy in space, you store the energy in space, you transmit that energy from space to the Earth with microwaves? Correct. Mel, yes. thank you. Yeah, that's the that's one of the big thinking things is that uh, the sun doesn't go down if you put it in the right place. You put your panels in the right place. They generate energy, and you actually transfer that energy to the surface through microwaves, which is 24 hours a day. Now... I've always thought that if your 747 drives through the plane of that microwave, that everybody in there turns into a chicken McNugget. Nobody's explained to me why that doesn't happen, but supposedly <laughs> that doesn't happen. Uh, but yeah. that would be a way to get uh, renewable energy, a huge amount of renewable energy, very expensively. But um, the theory is that that could actually work, and the Chinese are actually working on it, and probably the US is working on it, and actually putting some up. And Robert, you're next. So I don't know what you're pointing at, Tom. For me, you're pointing to this other screen, but I'll take that as me. Uh, so the Chinese, and I put in a quick bit of this in the notes, launched the Chang'e uh, mission to the moon, and they're going to bring back moon rocks. First time they're going to bring back moon rocks in 40 years. And when I was listening to their conversation and their their sort of launch video, they also talked about the fact that the moon has the largest amount of, uh, uh, what is it, uh, heavy hydrogen. Heavy hydrogen. So this is tritium. This is what you can use in a fission reactor, not a fusion reactor, but a fission reactor. And that produces a F-ton of energy. And if you can get tritium from the moon pretty easily, just go scoop it up, pack it in a in a thing and send it back, it would be like the movie Moon. Remember that movie where the dude is stuck on the moon and he's like, weird things are happening and he's sort of like seeing things and then he sees himself and it was a great movie, Moon. Anyway, in that movie, his only job, are you cutting me off? Is that cutting me off? Or is that just saying Joel's next? Oh my God, dude, you need to stop. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> So the <laughs> it's like the CNN reporter that hears something in his ear. He's like, uh, I, 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 they're talking in my ear. I can't, I can't really talk right can, now. Can you, I'm just not even going to look him? at you, Tom. Can we I'm not possibly even mute him? All right. <laughs> and so we could just have some people on the moon simply just sending back these pods full of tritium. And here on earth, we plug it into the fission reactor and we've got golden energy with like no radiation, no waste. It's a pretty golden way to, uh, to make energy. And we could have more energy than we could ever possibly use. We could waste energy like crazy. It could be, you know, literally live anywhere on the planet with unlimited heating or cooling. It, it's pretty powerful. We could use all Let's that energy that. to suck carbon out of the atmosphere. So, I mean, like, the, we could terraform back, or we wouldn't, since we're the ones who screwed it up. Our great-grandchildren could terraform the whole planet back to where it should be. And and that's what I'm hoping won't be happening. So are you sure it's tritium or is it helium-3? Is it helium-3? Yeah, I believe it I is. Thought, well, tritium's one type of reactor. Might you, be tritium. No, it is. It is. Because um, helium-3, as far as um, fusion goes, is a little bit easier to do than everything that we've been trying to do on the planet. But helium-3 is like, we can't really get it here. 
without without making it. But the point still stands is that they're you know this is kind of super fantastical at the moment. But just if you can produce your energy off planet for the planet, you could at least sort of keep things keep things sort of in place. But I, I do agree though uh, that we need to figure out ways to be able to protect from Earth. Uh, and civilization-ending events, and hopefully we do it with our brains in some way, as dinosaurs Ooh, couldn't do, do it, it with uh, their their might. No, they couldn't. They didn't. They didn't make it. And uh, all right, so let's move on and let's talk about our OS versions. Melvis, have you gotten a new OS? Because you're a you're an FSD. We're going to get to Robert last because Robert's going to talk about his autopilot beta, his FSD beta situation, even though he's not supposed to. What? What? Please, I seed the floor. No, I've got a couple of updates, uh, Bluetooth things. I seed the floor. I seed my time uh, to uh, the Robert from Santa Monica. All right, Robert, what do you got? What do you got for us in beta FSD? I don't have the beta FSD yet. I'm still at 44.10.1. Right, go, <laughs> What's happening? A great Which setup. Was just a was just a great uh, a great cleanup version, uh, which I'm still enjoying very much. But no, I haven't. I'm, I'm going to search my inbox now to see if I'm getting a a, a non disclosure agreement from Tesla, but I haven't seen anything yet. So I'm also at uh, 2020.44.10.1. And what I will say about this one, the last update seemed to have broken the proximity sensor to the phone, the Bluetooth. Like whenever I would come to my car, it wouldn't open the door until I actually opened the app and then then the, the car would kind of see it. That seems to have stopped. Now, I, originally I thought maybe that was due to the fact that I haven't been driving very much. And after like two or three days of sitting there, it potentially just like went to deep bluetooth sleep and that's why it wasn't working but I, I feel like now because of the software update um i will uh i i i think that they have that there was something going on with the software because this software seems to have fixed that uh, can i just state i somebody needs to pay because uh back in the day when bluetooth was going to be a thing they told us how wonderful this short-range thing was going to be and how amazing and your devices are going to go on and off them and you're going to stream music and it's going to be great. And yeah, Bluetooth is the biggest disappointment since, I don't know, like me. It's so disappointing, so much promise and yet so disappointing. So I don't know if I should blame Bluetooth or Tesla, but i got to tell you, it is a effing nightmare. And then they did priority Bluetooth and all these updates, it hasn't helped one piece of piss. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, it, when, when uh, Bluetooth first came out, the range of it was supposed to be like a, you know, was it like about 100 meters or something or 30 meters? And I have my headphones <laughs> in and I walk, what, 10, 15 feet from my, from my computer and then all of a sudden it starts cutting out. I don't have that in the Model S, but uh, uh, so I don't experience your pain there. But I do. Uh, I think it's the same thing for USB as well. There's sort of like, oh, here's a promise, but then you know the reality is is something in between. So you say you don't have that in the Model S. What does that mean? The Model S that you have does not have. Uh, no, I meant uh, for walking up to your car and recognizing your phone. 
that sort of thing. Oh, because you you use the it recognizes your your uh, your fob. My fob right? and, and my like particular what... fob is in a USB fob. The Model X had the USB fob, um, but not mine. Okay. All right. So yes, Robert. So the uh, I've noticed only that in getting close to my car, if I don't have my phone on, in other words, if my phone is the screen is dark, more often now the phone won't trigger the car. So I have to actually pull the phone out and just shake it. My I, w- I have an iPhone 11. And so if I shake mm-hmm. it and the screen comes on, all of a sudden the car opens up. So that's oh, kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if that's a security feature. I don't have like two-factor authentication set up. And I don't have the, um, what is it, that pin on start set up. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that affects this system, but... I don't find it to be a super hassle. Well, I have an iPhone 12 because I'm huge. And actually, the Bluetooth to open works really well, even when the screen is not on. But, but, and I should say large but, if my phone is kind of in my back pocket near my butt, sometimes it uh, doesn't see it because it's going through all my meatness. And uh, (laughs) that's blocking the signal. So I've got to put it... I got to put it in my hand and uh, pull it out of my pocket, but uh, Bluetooth or whatever, it doesn't go through the meat sack and my large buttocks. Do you have like a? Of course, they're made of artificial. They're huge. They've got so much strength. No, they're very muscular and full of muscles. Mel, I wanted to ask you about your your Model Y. But (laughs) that too. Um, But your Model Y. um, I know a lot of people have been asking about. Or wanting to hear more about the why and your experience with the why and whatnot, is that your more more or less daily driver? And how is it? How's it going? Yeah, Model Y why? is now, now Model Y is now the daily driver. I love it. Um, it. I love pretty much everything about it. It's efficient. I like the ride height. I love the amount of space it has. My only. The only thing it doesn't do as well as the other cars is that the ride is not as smooth as the X because X has got the air suspension and I love air suspension. Mm. And the 3 just seems also to have a better ride because it's not sitting up so high and I don't know because of the dynamics of coil suspension on a higher ride thing. So I I love the, the Y. So the way that they can make that kind of the perfect car air suspension, and, of course, 500 miles of range. <laughs> I just wanted to check, Mel. Do, do you have a hip replacement? Do you have titanium hips? Uh, no, I have extremely, extremely dense buttocks. Uh, the myocytes uh, and the troponins, very, very, very mm. dense buttocks. Yeah. That that comment was not even funny the second time you said it, Robert, <laughs> which is great. So that was pretty, <laughs> pretty, well, pretty well done. It was almost like you felt like, it was so it landed so flat you wanted to just make sure just make sure that it wasn't that it wasn't just the the nature of the conversation that we were having can i pour but, you some so tequila that, it's interesting, yeah. but but my but i think it's i think tough. the issue with the why if i'm not mistaken is that it it rides a little bit higher so it probably has a bigger spring a bigger coil so you're probably getting a little bit more bounce to that spring now i do my guess is somebody out there somewhere, maybe even Rich Rebuilds could, could do this. 
could add, and and there and it probably doesn't even need to be rich. It could add some form of air suspension to the Model Y if you wanted. And uh, oh, so, so it's actually gotten better. I thought this might happen. I think when I first got it, the springs were really tight and they were bouncy, and it definitely feels. And I haven't got that many miles on it. I think about six thousand miles on it. It definitely feels a little better now and might be better after like 10,000 miles. I don't know if that's true and there'll be engineers like you're out of your mind, but or maybe it's my brain is like, Getting it's used okay because it. this feels normal now. Yeah. yeah, you're probably getting a little bit more used to the ride would be my guess. And have you taken any air out of the, the tires? Or like, I, I think Elon early on said that with the Model 3 is just to take a little bit of air out. I have not done that. That is a great pull. I might do that just to get a little bit more of a... But I love the efficiency because I'm all about efficiency. I'm like looking at like how many kilowatts per mile, but so it's a double-edged sword. It is. Do you think it might be somehow related to that dense buttocks of yours that you're having problems with the springs? I like the way you're thinking. The, The huge amount of buttock density due to the huge gluteus maximus. Actually, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen them, I have the smallest buttocks in the world. This is all a fantasy on my part. I believe we have a theme to the show. Potentially <laughs> I think a title. It's coming. <laughs> a title. So let's move on to batteries and energy storage and stuff like this. And uh, so the next article we have is about Indonesia wooing Tesla investment. I'm going to assume I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to I'm going to just I'm just going to put myself out there and say, Robert, did you add this article? I think I did. I think I did. Did you did you, Joel? I, actually, I don't know. Um I've been I've been contributing to these show notes for the last six weeks yeah. because we have gone off off tracks so many times. But now, thanks, Tom, to your fine direction, which I finally decided I know how to follow. Let's talk about Indonesia, mm-hmm. please. So there isn't another, you know. So the big market that everybody's looking for with Tesla is not just China. There's a little market in like Australia, and then there's India. And we talked about India last show as well, or maybe it was the show before, Mm -hmm. where Elon said he's going to put, uh, he's going to turn on the configurator for India, which means that we're going to need an F ton more Teslas in Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Asia proper. And so Indonesia wants to be a Tesla superpower battery producing site and the president was wooing elon musk i think this was going back and forth on twitter some of this i saw some of it i also saw the president who i thought was dressed in a really like a really cool shirt he had this like patterned shirt that i was almost more distracted by his clothing choice than what he was saying because it's the same kind of politician speak but they want to uh they have a lot of nickel in indonesia uh, they have a lot of people in Indonesia, and so they're talking to Elon about having the resources that he wants, and uh, I'm curious to see where this goes. Go ahead, Joel. So um, one of the... <laughs> Thank you, Robert. I mean, Tom. Um, one of the interesting things about this all is that uh, Indonesia just doesn't want sort of raw nickel to be exported out of the country. And so this is a the more interesting piece of this. They want products to export the country instead of just raw 
metal. And so this sort of would work against Tesla's strategy of having car, or maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but against their strategy of building cars with, uh, next to batteries and going and um, in, in putting them in markets that they, they, they think are going to be able to use those. So it's going to be interesting to see how they end up doing this. Um, it could ultimately mean because Indonesia and also Australia are one of the, uh, the two places that have a lot outside of China that have a lot of nickel. So let's see, let's see what happens with that. But that's something to watch in the future. Yeah, that was a, that's been a big deal in Australia for decades. Like Australia has an enormous amount of minerals and an enormous amount of like sheep. And it used to be when I was growing up, Australia was living off the sheep's back. And that was the idea that, you know, all of Australia's economy was based on basically shearing the sheep and sending the wool overseas. And then somebody else would do the value add. And Australia is now grappling with that again. It's like, we have all these minerals, but that's not where the money is. There's a lot of money there. But if you can take the nickel and turn it into a battery, instead of making X amount of dollars, you can make 10X amount of dollars. We should be asking Tesla and other people to come here so we can do the thing plus the value add. Otherwise, you're just digging up the dirt and that's not going to make you a really rich country. So Indonesia has worked out the same thing. Does Australia have value added taxes? Yes, uh, they do, but um, that's sort of a separate thing from what this is about, which is like um, dig up the mineral, create something from the mineral, sell it for 10x what the mineral was. Value-added taxes is a little different in Australia. Okay, because I... So, and I also... Sorry, Tom. It was just a follow-up question, Mr. President, because I think with value-added taxes, though, if, if, if they sell the raw materials, there's only a certain level of tax that the country gets. But if they then add more to that product and make it worth 5x of what it's now worth, then there's even more taxes that the country can get. And this is to to Mel and then Tom. So, uh, Joel, apparently you know more about the country that I grew up in than I do, so I'm feeling embarrassed and I'm going to walk away now. So what I will say about this, that I think that makes a whole lot of sense, and I think what potentially could be, I mean, Indonesia is a very populous country, although it's a very a very poor country. They could theoretically you know make put a battery put battery cells you know put a battery cell factory in indonesia and then that would a give them a lot more jobs because then they would have a the mining jobs and then b they'd have the construction jobs to build the factory and maintain the factory and then you'd also have the ongoing jobs of building the cells and that that battery could service either Cars being built there, cars being built in China to sort of increase that. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go about it, but but I agree. And and Indonesia recently is having some labor reform issues. They passed a whole bunch of laws, and it's it's somewhat problematic. And all of the labor unions are sort of up in arms about the laws because it's less protection for the laborers. So I hope that if you know the the president of Indonesia is able to get Elon to sort of to, to think about this and, and they do it, they do it very seriously. And, and then maybe Tesla can be a part of that force of positive change to, to actually help the Indonesian government and the Indonesian people to, to like elevate those wages and, and make it all a little bit better because they are definitely, they're struggling to get foreign investment, but the way that of course they're, they're, 
they're putting their laws in place to get this foreign investment is to lower regulations, which we both, we all know means environmental regulations and labor regulations. And Indonesia doesn't have a great track record, the child labor laws either. So, I mean, I think all of those things combine, hopefully if Tesla does go to Indonesia, if they do have the nickel, we need the nickel. So like you got to get it from where you can get it. And I agree. I think get the mining, build the factory, make the cells. And if they have to build cars there, if that's possible, and maybe the Indonesian market would be a market for Tesla vehicles in some way, shape or form. There are a lot of people in Indonesia. The problem is a lot of small islands, right? Make up the Indonesian archipelago. I don't know. If it's an archipelago. I don't know what it's actually technically. I don't called. know what an archipelago is. Islands. A it's bunch a group of, of islands. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nation. Yeah, a group of islands at okay. the edge of a continent. They are the fourth <laughs> largest country in the world. Um, so China, India, us and Indonesia. So, yeah. So it would yeah. make sense to a certain extent, you know, like, and, and the reason that I say that is like that new legislation, Amnesty, Amnesty International called the new legislation about workers that they, they recently passed catastrophic, saying that it would really damage job security and livelihoods in the country. So again, I think this is an opportunity, potentially, right? You get the nickel, you try to uplift a, a bunch of people, you try to bring the country, you know, help the, help the country's politicians understand that you can do both. You can take care of your workers and you can build factories and be a part of an economic force. Because, you know, a lot of industrialized nations do this well. And Indonesia can be, should be one that does that. So uh, it's interesting to watch this, the industrialization of the world where you move peop- you move manufacturing to where the humans are cheapest. So uh, you go to the countryside, there's, the humans are prepared to accept less wages there. And then you move it to Mexico and then Mexico gets a little bit richer and like, ah, well, you know who is really poor? The Chinese. The Chinese will do this for less than the Mexicans. So then you move it to China and then China starts to get elevated and they're like, we're not doing that job. I'm like, well, where is poor? Oh, Indonesia. Let's go over there. And finally, where do you get to? The robots. You get to the robots. Yeah. Well, we haven't gotten the robots yet. They have missed that mark on a number of tries. Um, uh, Are you going to cover this article, Tom? Or did you just cover this article? I just covered this article, the Indonesian one. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a good thing. I say spread it around. It's uh, there's no reason there's plenty of people there who need to eat and work and they don't have as much eat and work as they have as they need but they're also like really suffering from the effects of climate change and i think indonesia is one of those countries that stands to have more people displaced than uh well i don't, i can't give you a number but i think that uh, already uh the they're talking about moving the main city on java to a new location because it is so vulnerable to sea level rise. So wherever they put that uh, gigafactory Indonesia, if there will be one, I certainly expect they're going to put it somewhere safe. So the next article we have here is about Tesla Energy in Israel. And I think this is a really interesting article. This is from Tesla Roddy. And according to this Israel-based finance uh, newspaper Globes, Tesla is in advanced talks with private companies in the country to deploy its megapack batteries and grid scale energy devices. I don't know who put this article in here, but I think it's 
quite interesting. Um, so Israel's trying to become a world leader in sustainable energy. It's very highly ranked when it comes to solar power generation, and it really would like to get Tesla megapack batteries, but they are required. They feel like to replace Israel's energy needs or to, to meet Israel's energy storage needs would be eight gigawatt hours of storage, which is an incredible amount of storage. I did the math. I did some mathematics as it pertains to this article. 2,666 megapacks would be required in storage, which is, I don't know, what, five or six times larger than the largest current uh, uh, energy thing that's kind of been... Uh, put out. And here's some other interesting information. Each megapack weighs about 51,000 pounds, and each wow. one has approximately 36,000 individual cells in it. At least this was the calculations based on the only number I could find, which was like how many cells are in a power wall and, and how much storage one of these megapacks has in comparison to a power wall. So this, if they were to deploy 2,666 megapacks, would be almost 96 million individual cells that is a staggering amount of cells that is amazing well this is what joel did that great interview about with uh what was his name renee Rene, who joel did a great interview and he can't even remember himself but <laughs> the astounding amount of cells that have to be produced for cars and energy storage is large and big but 2000 666 megapacks for an entire country actually doesn't seem like that much to me. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's just for their kind of storage needs to be renewable. My guess is that's what it covers for the evening. I, I Again, I didn't think that that number was was big and astronomical. Again, Horn Hornsdale, is that what it is? Hornsdale, Hornsdale in Australia? Yeah. Hornsdale in Australia is 400, not megapacks, it's 400 power packs. That was prior to the megapack. So again, we're talking about sort of an exponential growth in a thing that was already kind of exponentially grown to, to make it easier to do. And the interesting thing that I found about the, when I was doing a little bit of research into the megapacks that you guys probably already knew is that they really only require a little bit of maintenance every five years. And that maintenance takes about an hour per megapack. They got to kind of replace the thermal cooling, cooling fluid and they sort of move on. So it's pretty, and the, and that price that Tesla will charge for it. And, and it was kind of hard to figure out, but it, it looks like the estimated cost is like $300 per kilowatt hour. And it's a lot. That's a lot of kilowatt hours because each gigawatt hour is 1 million kilowatt hours. So you're talking about potentially 300 million times eight. So it's a, it's a considerable amount of money. But obviously at that scale, it's never going to be that expensive and they're making it cheaper all the time. So one is um, that's interesting about the maintenance because that's sort of like uh, the cars as well as they want you to replace the cooling fluid every so often. But yeah, the, the, the cells in the packs, we know they're... They're making for at least uh, about $100 a kilowatt hour right now. And so that $300 number is what the market can bear right now. And, and so that's what they're charging. And then secondarily, we've, we learned that um, with some services that Tesla adds on, they continue to make money with these projects. So it's not just a sale and go on. You know, they continue to make money from that. And I think that was something that Drew mentioned uh, at the last shareholders call. 
Um, one, uh, I don't know who you said. What did you say, Renee um, Mel? It was Pierre. That that name was so. I can't remember. Pierre. <laughs> Let me say, look, Pierre, Rene, are these uh, French names oh, are sent to please. me, you know? I had to throw I, this in because knew I that liked at it some in point French. Is, you were so good. You were so good. You said a false name and everything was fine and you didn't do it. And then you just you just had to you had to do it. You had to we had a lovely guest on yeah. our show midweek. He was great. Joel worked really hard on the interview. I tried to lend a he hand did a job. and then you just sully the whole <laughs> whole thing with your just horrible horrible i had to use my accent which is from the multi python era i just like to do it it's outrageous and mel i tried to get you to do that halfway through it you could have done your accent against his accent it could have really worked out (laughs) it'd have been fun but maybe next time we can have him on and and do that uh pierre farragut though but when you said renee i i was so at loss like i was like no, who did that? No, I didn't interview a Renee. <laughs> anyway, um, Renee, Pierre, you know, you know how Mel thinks about people's names and such. It's not his strong suit, Joel. I don't know if you <laughs> used to listen to this show when we when we used to try to get Mel to to do letters. And uh, one of the reasons that we had to stop doing the letters is because Mel had some. Let's. He was what we would call pronunciation challenged. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's a neurological disorder. <laughs> And I feel very outed by that. It's upsetting, mate. I can do accents because that part of my brain that reads is not really working properly. So, you know, You're it's upsetting to me. a doctor, for goodness sakes, a physician, a lifesaver. I'm assuming I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that some of what you learned came in reading form and not all of it was by audiobooks. I understand that... You you love the audio education. Uh, I you know there's something about that that really does you know like speak to you, and I understand why. But you had to have read something in your life, for goodness sakes. Yeah, I can read it, but I don't have to be able to say it, mate. <laughs> All right. Come on, All right, that, I can't pronunciate you know it. That makes a whole. Come on, lot everything I learned was from little golden books, and only the Australians and. The British are going to understand that joke. Oh, and speaking of the British, we're going to move to the United Kingdom for this next article, and we're going to talk about Tesla launching a new energy plan to offer low electricity rates with solar and a Powerwall VPP. And I'm sure whoever put this article in here knows exactly what VPP stands for. Virtual Power Plant. So if we remember Ooh, after please the, explain. Uh, after Battery Day, we talked a little bit about Tesla and their aspirations uh, to become a utility. And that's where Tom flew off the handle saying, geez, you know what? Tesla's doing too many things. They're just spread too thin. What are they going to do next? I think um, Robert mentioned uh, building tunnels between, I don't know, Nevada and Fremont. I think there's a, a no. It was between it was between Las Vegas oh, and the yep. Gigafactory because there's no right. workers. There. So I think there's a there's a bet on the table for this. But in this case, bringing us back, Tesla does want to become a utility, and this is now one of the second places where they're well, actually third probably Vermont, in Australia, and now uh, in the UK they're working with a company called Octopus Energy to sell power to uh, UK residents. So you get a power wall installed. If you have a Tesla, 
you get a, a lower rate, around eight pence per kilowatt hour. If you don't have a Powerwall, uh, I mean, sorry, if you don't have a Tesla, it's like around 11 pence per kilowatt hour. But these are very attractive rates. And uh, this is the start for Tesla starting to do more. We know that we, we've also heard rumors about Elon going, I think it was in the summertime, Elon flying out to the UK to look at locations. And folks are thinking, well, geez, maybe they're going to be doing a factory there or something. We're still not sure, but they're definitely looking at becoming a utility. And this is now the third location, Vermont. They're doing a VPP in Vermont with uh, Green Mountain Power. I used to live there and uh, in the UK, in the Australia as well. So uh, I think there's some interesting and great things happening here. So do you remember during the earnings call, a couple of earnings calls ago, somebody thought they were being really smart saying, because you're vertically integrated, um, maybe you should think about becoming a power company. And Elon totally tongue in cheek said, and I think most people missed it, boy, that would be a good idea. We should think about that. And it's clear from this, what you're talking about, Joel, they've been thinking about this for quite a long time. They're not mental. They're like, we make solar panels. We make electricity, we make storage. Yeah, we could kind of take over that market as well. Right, but the interesting thing about the timing of that, right? Because when was Battery Day? That was in October? End of September. September? September? Because they uh, applied for this. They got permission from the UK in June to become a utility. So that so they actually had already filed that paperwork. They had already gotten the approval to go through with this progress, this process that Electric is writing about. And then they said, oh, that would be a good idea. Battery Day, knowing full well, they had already had approval that this was already a plan in place. So it's another uh, way of, of Elon sort of being a little bit sort of tongue-in-cheek about his informationus. So I have a question for you guys. What else does Tesla have up its sleeve right now? What haven't they told us about? And what, oh no, don't let me see up your sleeve, Mel, because I don't know if you washed today. Uh, what is it that they've got? What could they be brewing up right now? Well, my friend Pierre, I would like to uh, talk. For... I think if you extrapolate from all that they're doing, there is an endless amount that they could be doing. To talk about how big Tesla could become, you just have to think about if you own energy, if you own storage, if you own vehicles, if you own uh, rockets, if you own satellites, if you own internet, your brain can sort of explode about where all the places they could go. To think about Tesla as, uh, again, Joel and I, I don't really want to diss him, uh, uh, Pierre, um, his sort of $3 trillion to $3.5 trillion valuation by 2025. And he was saying, like, I'm being very conservative. I'm trying to think about just this specific sector. If you think about everything that Tesla has got their finger in, and if you think about everything the world needs in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, this could be a $100 trillion valuation. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and the interesting thing about the Pierre interview that Joel did was that at one point he said basically by 2025 like with with the with the German uh, gigafactory coming online and let's say the Austin gigafactory is coming online Tesla's kind of with no more gigafactories they're kind of maxing out at two and a half million vehicles worldwide basically China 
like so and and that alone was a huge valuation for him i think he talked about it in terms of like a hundred billion dollars in sales and revenues from just two and a half million vehicles sold i don't know if that math is exactly right but that's that was kind of the gist of what i got he was really basing a lot of his numbers on on the vehicles which means that's like at 20% margins, about $20 billion in profits by 2025, which would just be completely spectacular because you can imagine what Tesla could do with that kind of capital in, in regards to building more gigafactories and stuff like that. But I agree, if you factor in the fact that they, they're going to try to be a big energy producer and storer and utility in the UK, it looks like there's probably going to be maybe a couple more online in Australia at that point. And who knows how many, you know, they're building a big giant one in Northern California, another big energy storage situation. So they're, they're really kind of, and once they start dipping their toes in all these things and the other sort of municipalities and, and governments see that this is successful and a good way to provide cheaper money, because again, the less money you spend on energy, the more money you can spend on other things or, or save money or, or invest in other, other deals. So I think that's a pretty good deal. Most definitely. Elon uh, today had a uh, interview. Robert, who was that with? It was a German, it's called the uh, German, sorry, European Conference on Batteries. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took place uh, about, 18 hours ago, the, the woman who was interviewing Elon said she was impressed that he was up at two in the morning. But those of us who follow Elon texting, we know that uh, Elon is up at all kinds of hours. But that that was what was going to give me my... He's got a baby. He's got a, he's got a new baby in the house. Yeah, so well, you know what he up. really needed to take care of while he was being interviewed by this woman across the globe in Germany? is he needed to take no his idea, freaking dogs out to pee because they're all yapping in the background. And yeah. what I actually thought was the most <laughs> impressive thing was that he wasn't, he wasn't anything like me. He wasn't phased at all. He just continued speaking and uh, going down the road of the point <laughs> that he was trying to make. And the dog's like, yep, yep, yep. And I'd be like, get these things out of here. But no. So I bring so, that yeah. up. I bring that up to um, say that one of the things that he mentioned in that meeting in that, in that, call that interview um was he said that the gigafactory in berlin would produce the most battery uh cells um in the world uh which i'm sure that's gonna tee off tom a little bit here and secondly the number that he ended up on that it sounded like he ended up on was about 200 gigawatt hours uh, per year if we maybe even 250 yeah so if we extrapolate that to model three and we say like 85 kilowatt hours each that's about 2.3 million cars if it's just purely cars if you cut it in half and say half of it's going to be to cells that's still that's still more than people are expecting is going to be produced at giga uh at giga berlin so that's about that's many more vehicles. I, I don't, what was the number that you said? Because Pierre said about 500,000 was his expectation for Berlin. And I, what was the number you just said? Uh, 2.3 million um, based upon the, 3 million. The, the, the gigawatt hours produced. But if you cut it in half and say halves for storage and halves for right. uh, cars, it's still, you know, 1.1, 1.2 million cars. And do we think by the time Gigafactory Berlin, Gigafactory Austin is up and running, they're only going to be uh, working the new... Um, cells? 
working the new yeah, cells. Yeah, 4680s. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it does sound like that for Berlin for sure. Um, and, and okay. Berlin should be before Austin. Yeah. So, uh, I, I suspect that both of those will have that. Um, and again, another piece of news this week that Robert probably knows about is, um, that, uh, LG is also going to be making 4680s, uh, for China for the model Y. So there's a lot of things that are happening. And I think that it's interesting because uh, in Germany, he was kind of, Elon was kind of hedging himself, talking about how producing the factory that produces these miraculous 4680 cells with a dry application of electrolyte, he says that it's 99.9% perspiration and 0.01% uh, innovation. And so the amount that he was giving energy to the fact that it's really difficult to bring to mass production a new kind of battery and a new kind of battery technology made me thinking that I don't know if they're going to be producing the 4680s right off the bat at Germany because they've got a factory, they've laid concrete, they're going to be moving in the machinery soon, if they haven't already like made this battery production golden, why would they install a mega battery production facility in Germany on speculative technology? Now, that's not like Tesla hasn't done that stuff before, and they have a lot more money, and because of the freaking crazy stock price, they can probably you know borrow a lot and waste a lot of money, and this is their sort of like push to innovation by just sort of barreling through and if something doesn't work they you know they'll just kind of chalk it up and and move on but i thought that was kind of interesting and and one other thing that he mentioned i don't know how many of us saw this little um segment was that he 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 mentioned safety a few times when talking about cells and that kind of worried me a little bit too what kind of safety was he harping on? Was he safe? Like, are the cells that he's worried they're going to flame up? Is he worried that they're not going to be safe in the battery packs? Is he worried that it's not going to be safe for the workers to make it? Because he's talking about how there's no there's no solvents. There's none of this off-gassing. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you also have, like, the fact that it's in Germany, A, means they have a very, very highly skilled automotive workforce, right? They also are the company, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that is the home of the robotics company that Tesla bought uh, a while ago, right? So there's 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 this this high level of engineering genius that like lives inside of Germany. I mean, these are these are this is a this is a people who really value engineering, who really value this this type of work. So if any place on the planet can get this really working at high high efficiency, my guess is it's going to be the the giga the giga berlin and and when you talk about the the safety thing i don't know i mean i i hope that there's not some innate sort of missing safety thing but but i will say like each one of those batteries if they're you know six times as dense as five normal cells right which is sort of what the what the deal is on on those things that means they're going to each hold a lot of density i don't know if you guys saw that article recently and and i don't want to just 
I hate to just throw this in there, but there was recently a Model 3 that was going like 100 miles an hour and it got into an accident and it was basically kind of destroyed. Luckily, the people who were in the car live, but it spewed batteries everywhere and some of those batteries caught on fire and it was it was kind of a bit of a mess there are a bunch of little tiny fires caught and again ice vehicles catch on fire and we're not going to dive into that yeah. particular article in this particular show we'll talk about it next time but but again I, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up in terms of safety like is elon kind of el alluding to the fact that some of those batteries just that that they're not they're not sure if they're going to be able to cool. I mean, they're, they're putting all new technology, right? It's new cooling technology. It's a new form factor. It's new tabs. It's all kinds of new stuff. So my guess is they really, you might be right. They really do need to put them through the ringer until they build a line to produce them at, at scale. So do I think Elon's concerned about the safety? Um, no more than, you know, that he, than he is about the safety of the cars in general and crash worthiness and whatnot his answer was re in response to a question that said um that asked about sustainability um and if you have all these chemicals what are you going to do with um you know how is it going to work how clean is it going to be and that's where he went into you know we're using these new technologies that you could be in the facility and you wouldn't even smell solvents and heavy chemicals and whatnot so i think he and then you also have to think about the group that you're talking to so the group that you're talking to is knows about a lot of these processes and knows the chemicals needed for that and what they're saying is hey this is going to be a different way we're looking to do it sustainably he talked about the salt extraction process that they want to do in um on, with clay he talked about um the dry battery electrode all of these things don't use um, heavy solvents. And so that's sort of where he's getting at, I think, with that. Yeah, I mean, even if... Let, let's go like conservatively back to the sort of production numbers that, that you mentioned early on, because I think that... that I, I, mean, I, I believe that they won't make the batteries at scale until they know that they're safe. Like that, that makes a whole lot of sense. They've got a lot of experience, so I'm not necessarily concerned about that. Does it matter if Gigafactory Germany, you know, builds those batteries from the jump? I don't think it does. It felt like they have the ability to kind of use the same equipment with a minor bits of modifications to make the other size sell anyways. So I think that's okay. My guess is they'll turnkey plan for both battery production lines anyways, and they're probably already mm -hmm. doing that. But if the numbers are correct, right? And even let's say, it's 2.3 million uh whatever vehicles but you like they say they do 50 percent of those over that that basically bumps up even pierre's uh numbers another half a million it's like the equivalent of another gigafactory and i'll tell you this if they can pump out 2.3 million cars in the german gigafactory and the austin gigafactory is only able to pump out 500,000 cars that is going to be problematic for the people of austin in my opinion like they're going to have to they're going to have to figure out how to my guess is they'll be competing against one another and then there'll be China online. And so like if the numbers are correct and I guess the size of the gigafactory probably matters and, and maybe one of you guys can speak to the size of that gigafactory versus the size of the China gigafactory versus the size of the Austin gigafactory. The numbers th that Pierre then gave you of $100 billion at two and a half million cars are, are maybe 25 30 40% lower than they could potentially be in just 5 years potentially which is astounding and if there really is an unlimited like an unlimited appetite for teslas 
at the current pricing levels all over the world and the only thing limiting it is supply, that's going to be the test is going to be very, very hard to stop. If they can get that going by 2025, how do the, 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 the traditional, like, how does even Toyota compete with that, honestly? Yeah, if you, um, if you listen to the interview and our, 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 um, our folks listen to the interview, Pierre really didn't think that any of the traditional uh, automakers were going to be in play until probably 2026 or later. And didn't think that folks like um, Rivian and um, Neo and um, Xpeng and those folks, their volumes and their predicted volumes are so low um, that he, he doesn't really think that they're going to be in play. So it's it's up to Tesla in terms of producing what they think they can produce. The one last thing that I, I want to find the clip um, because Elon had an interview um, where he talked about the Gigafactory just the the gigafactories in general and said he thinks that they can produce more than than what their rating is currently and he said you know and he sort of did it low key he wasn't um as sort of high key as he was in 2017 when he said oh we're going to be producing 10,000 by the end of the year 10,000 model 3s by the end of the year per week or per month i think that was but he basically said there's a potential for them to get to 10x of what they originally think they could get to in a plant and that's his, his uh sort of uh alien dreadnought that's his uh machine that makes a machine and i suspect I, I was trying to get out of pierre the number of factories that he thought tesla would have in 2030 and he didn't really give me a number but i think it's gonna be a lot less than what people think and he's gonna produce a lot more in individual factories than people think yeah, I mean, and I would say, like, there's some aspects, I think, of the size of the Austin Gigafactory, because they're building the semi there, probably requires a lot more space. The line itself probably needs to be a little bit larger, so that, you know, maybe producing one of those uh, semis is, is basically, well, we know it's basically about, what, six Model 3 size power pack, six to eight, I think, was was the number, and maybe that will that will change a little bit. So obviously a lot more battery production for a lot less vehicles, right? So that that's one issue with why the awesome would be bigger. Uh, hopefully they'll be building semis in uh, in the German Gigafactory as well. Although I believe like the trucks, maybe the trucks in Europe are a little bit smaller. And I know there were two different models of the Tesla semi, so I think one of them was a little bit a little bit smaller than the other one, anyways. So, I mean, all, all, all that, all that being said is like based on, on the heels of the Pierre interview and, and what we've been talking about, you know, I think these valuations are, are possible and, and maybe not even that difficult, right? Like if you're talking about a hundred billion dollars in revenue from only selling 2.5 million cars, right? Only selling 2.5 million cars, that's about a uh, 40% of what Apple's like current yearly revenue is right now, right? And obviously Tesla's on a way higher growth curve. I mean, Apple's on a pretty amazing growth like curve in general, but Tesla has room to grow in vehicles. I mean, like, again, could they sell 10 million cars a year if they could make them? I don't know. I mean, we know that they need to make a lot of cars to replace the global fleet to electrical, but Again, the like these valuations, they start they start to seem a little pie in the sky, and then when you dive into the numbers 
and you really start to think about it. And I'm, and I understand like you're listening to the show. You've heard me go back and forth about this thing many, many times, but it's like when more data comes up, I'm going to, I'm going to reconsider it and I'm going to think about it. And it's like, yeah, I, he might be right. Like this might be, it might be easy for Tesla to be a $2 trillion company. Yeah. Especially at the end of this interview that Elon did with the European conference on batteries. Um, I think, I don't remember if it was an open question or not, but I think that uh, one of the things that Elon talked about was attracting engineering talent and the original or original vehicle design. In other words, I, I'm an engineer, I'm a talented guy, not really, but I'm going to play the role. And I not only want to go to work for a company that's doing cool things, like that's uh, environmentally conscious, building towards a good future, that I want to be able to put my name on something. I want to be able to say, oh yeah, I was on the team that developed the next generation Roadster. I mean, what kind of a badge of honor is that to carry around? I think that's pretty sweet. So he talked about in Europe and in China how they're working to attract engineering talent and also now looking into original designs. And then he gave this story where he was driving a Model X recently around Berlin and he had to drive around and around and around to find a place to park the thing because it's so large. And he said, you know, in America, this is you know, a, a, a truck or a car vehicle that size, it's personal preference. A lot of people like it. But in Europe, for example, it's not practical. And so he talked about Tesla creating a compact car. Whoa! And a hatchback car. Whoa! So two examples where Tesla could easily make more than two and a half million cars a year, that's Toyota right there. That's Honda. Those are those two companies that kind of perfected or or at least advanced greatly these small format cars that uh, there's a huge market for it. And if Tesla could make a $20,000 or a $17,000, you know, not a long range, maybe a 150, 200 mile range compact car, that'd be amazing. And if the 4680 cells that they create in these new factories truly are $50, for a, uh, a gigawatt, then they could make an, a lot of cars. Yeah, I agree. And, and right now, Toyota's producing, like Toyota's huge, right? Toyota's everywhere. Everybody, like Toyota's ubiquitous. They're, they're the brand that is the brand, right? In terms of like a single thing. They're only making 10 million vehicles worldwide annually. And they make 2.8 million of those in North America. So again, if Fremont can continue to produce a half a million cars. And if Austin can can somehow reach the the same heights as the as the Berlin Gigafactory and, and produce two two million cars as well, they could in two factories in the in the States be producing as many cars as Toyota. In in the fact that they've only been around for what, dozen years, right? Uh, and Toyota's been around for for going on 50 at this point, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Or actually 70 years probably Toyota's been going. So that's pretty good. Let's let's move on to the supercharger update. Robert, what do you have for us today? I misstated. I, I meant to say kilowatt. 50 bucks kilowatt in the past. Yeah, you said giga, but hopefully uh, people won't be mad at us. Yeah, well. Oh, they will. I took it that's back. That's okay. Really We're fast. used to it. It's okay. part of the fun. Really fast. 
All right, so I didn't put in the number of open superchargers. I'll remind you that it's been nine days since our last show on the 15th of November. Boys, okay. how many superchargers do you think Tesla has opened in nine days? Eleven. Okay. Do, 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 do. I'm going to go with eight. I'm going to go with eight. I'm going to be conservative. It's a holidays. So Tom says, what is eight? And Joel says, what is 10 11. or 11? 11. You're both wrong. 11. But it's good because if you add the two together. Wow. 20. 20 wow. open superchargers. If you add the two together, it's 19. I, I know. Believe, but I'm rounding. Let me get on my calculator. <laughs> You're rounding. Again, 20 in nine nice. days. Yes. And where are these superchargers located? That, that's actually quite impressive. When do you think... Char How many do you think Charge America did in the last? Nine we should days? do that. We should do that. <laughs> yeah. How many that? How many weren't in California? Oh, that's a good question. Well, we have. There is a new supercharger in New Zealand nice. in Mangueka. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I should have consulted EJ for a pronunciation lesson. I would actually text her now, but she's in class learning uh, to speak Maori. So it's M-A-N-G-A-W-E-K-A. -E There's one in Hong Kong. There's two in the Netherlands. Good day. Could have been Holland, north or south. I'm not sure. Switzerland <laughs> got two. But you're right. The vast majority of these 20 are in Fresno got 12. Oakland, Texas, New Jersey. Texas is in Austin, by the way. Virginia, Emeryville, Santa Ana, Texas California. Texas is in Austin? No. Texas. Austin is in Texas. Texas. In Austin is where the supercharger is located. Okay, nice. And then, uh, so we've got seven under construction in the last nine days. Seven entered construction. One uh, is in a place that I'm sure Mel would be super excited about. Davis. Oh, no, not Davis. He's not going to Davis all the time. But there is a University of California in Davis. So they're getting one there. And then there's three going into, went into permit stage. And this is what was interesting. One of them is in the Howard Hughes Center, which is on a, a street called Sepulveda, which is on the way to LAX. It's just north of LAX. But curiously, literally across the street is another large like shopping area where Howard Hughes actually had his airport and the Howard Hughes uh, organization was centered. And at that location, they have another supercharger. So literally two superchargers went in within, I don't know, a quarter mile of each other in the last year. And that is pretty crazy. Yes, Joel, I think you have a question. When the market closed, Tesla traded at 555 US dollars and 38 cents on the NASDAQ, up 6.43% since previous close. I'll tell you this, what math I'm never going to do is what that $5,000 Model X deposit into Tesla stock would have been at this point because that number has got to be hideously disappointing uh, in the fact that I did not do that at that at that moment because my guess is this uh, call would be happening from Aruba or someplace uh, wonderful, although maybe not, global pandemic as it were. But I wanted to follow up a little bit because on November uh, 10th, 
not too long ago, not too long ago, Electric reported that Electrify America reached a milestone in in their station oh, build guess. out. And, and what number? Guess. What what number do you gentlemen think? And and this is stations, not charging uh, hoses within the station. We'll do both. Did It'll you be say fun. hoses? <laughs> Whatever you want to call them, charging, charging, <laughs> charging uh, gasoline dispensers. What? What are the char- well? I mean, like the electrical hoses, the cables. It, oh, this the individual chargers. Okay, so we're gonna do two numbers. The first number is the number of stations, and then we're gonna extrapolate from that how many chargers total in in all of those stations. So we're gonna go with you first, Joel. Even though you made me sound like an idiot, which is really, let's be honest, not that <laughs> difficult. Not that difficult. <laughs> okay, so I would say. Um, a little under 2,000 stations. Okay. A little under 2,000 stations. Robert, would you like to guess at, at how how many stations we have? Charge America stations. These are the ones that were paid for by- No, this is Electrify America. Electrify, Electrify America. Isn't that, Electrify isn't that the diesel gate money that- Yes, this VW is the diesel gate. This is the diesel gate. And I don't know how long they've been building them, but they have been building them, and they are at a number, and that number is- 800. 800 so 2000 for Joel 800 for Robert and the grand total is 500 oh, wow. yeah 500 way 500 yeah cuz i've and, seen one and how many and 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 it gets more interesting and how many total chargers are in these 500 uh 500 stations as it were Joel i'll say 2000 now oh that's a good number yeah Robert? I'd say um, uh, 1,200. 1,200. So Robert's just like just about two per stage. Joel's around four per stage. The number's 2,200. Joel wins that round. So you guys are tiebreaker. And now what additional thing in September, Electric uh, reported another interesting tidbit of information about these Electrify America charging stations. And in September, at about 60 of these stations, something was deployed along with the chargers. Any guesses as to what that might be, gentlemen? Well, I know it, what it isn't. It isn't an espresso machine like at a Tesla supercharger in Kettleman City. But I, okay, it's not that. I That's would correct. say it's not you. Now you've guessed what it's not. But but you're saying that this is something that was deployed at all of them, or just one one here no, no, and no. there. This is deployed at some of them, yeah. and they hope to get this to 125 stations by the end of next year. This this very uh, this item will be interesting to our listeners. It will be very interesting to you when this information is given to you by me. So the guess is Robert. <sighs> Uh, a 250 kilowatt or no, I'm going to say a 350 kilowatt plug. Okay. Is that, is that your guess? Well, that was my guess, but I'll say instead, uh, multiple stations with solar char uh, and battery charging. Well, that is very interesting. So it has announced it will install solar-powered canopies in select locations, a la Tesla. But it has installed Tesla power packs <laughs> at 60 of its stations with plans to roll it out to 125 by the end of the year. So that's pretty cool, right? Wow. Like, that's pretty interesting because that's something I don't believe even Tesla has done yet, correct? That's, no, Not Tesla that we know has of. power packs. Oh. What do you mean? 
No, no, no. Power at, packs at charging yeah. stations? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Tesla's power packs. Oh, yeah, like in uh, in San Jose. No, not San Jose. Where is it? Uh, okay. On the, yeah, I guess it's a San Jose supercharger had power packs. It was the first one. Uh, it was, it's the one, it's like South San Jose. It's just after where you would go in and cut through to Gilroy, but yeah, they have uh, power packs at a bunch of the stations. I think the newest one in Very Firebaugh cool. has power packs. I think the one in okay. Baker has power packs. Is Firebaugh oh, the one? These are out. all cities in, these are all cities in California for those right. of you who aren't uh, from California. These are yes. all cities. Joel has reminded me several, several times that apparently not everybody who listens to this show lives in California and they might not know where these cities are. And I don't know, maybe they don't have Google Maps. I have no well, idea. Oh, yeah. But, you know, if you're driving and you're listening, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. But by the end of 2021, Electrify is America's plans is to have 800 stations. So they're pretty much, they're more than halfway to their 2021 goal, which is great, and 3,500 DC fast chargers. Now, Robert, can you put that into context for our listeners in regards to now that's only US charging? How many Tesla chargers? Uh, both stations and or charging ports within those stations does Tesla currently have. Yeah, so open... Hoses, charging hoses. Open superchargers. We just passed a milestone for Tesla. Yeah, we did. Stations. We did. Stations, 2040 as of today. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. And and then uh, the, the way that Tesla calls it, they call them stalls. Supercharger oh, stalls. stalls. Like, that's a good word. Yeah. So we like, have like bathroom stalls. You want to guess how many stalls we have? Okay, guys, let's so turn the what tables. was the number of superchargers? What was the number of 2040 superchargers? stations? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say there would be no man. Twenty two thousand. Okay. Joel? I'm gonna say twenty one thousand. It is eighteen thousand five hundred and fifty seven. Are That's you sure? Because I thought I heard, I thought I heard a twenty thousand number just recently. <laughs> Getting called the, the supercharger updater is being challenged by the by the newcomer on the show. This is good. If it, if this wasn't uh, an Atlantic Coast versus Pacific Coast situation, there might be fisticuffs. East Coast West Coast. Yeah. East Coast West. Coast. Well, I can tell you one thing: the ratio of open supercharger uh-huh. stations in California to Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Is orders of magnitude. Yes. Okay. So we 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 started this show with a SpaceX launch. Yes. And we're gonna. It's time to start to wind down this show. And by wind down this show, I think we have still about a half an hour of chit chat left. Would be my guess. So we have a whole bunch of space articles. I am going to allow one of you, one of you, to decide which of these space articles we listen to and that one is going to be robert because robert has probably put in all of these space articles but i'm gonna make him choose from his favorites and pick one for us to discuss robert which one of these fantastical spacex stories would you like to discuss well i think since we're all or at least i am still sitting on the edge of my seat wanting to see the first starship launch I'm going to go with the fantastical article, SpaceX Starship, Elon Musk responds to impressive render 
of future launch. And the oh, cool thing right is that- Right to the Twitter. He goes right to the Twitter, folks. The he loves the cool Twitter. thing about yeah. this, well, actually, it's an inverse article, but I did pick up, and a lot of the news I pick up is on Twitter. Uh, the cool thing about this article is that I went through and I, I wrote it all out, and then we skipped it for like four shows. And you know what? It's still current, which is so cool. <laughs> but that is this great. this Twitter uh, artist, this artist sh shared his uh, his stuff on Twitter. His his name is Neo Pork. I'm not sure what inspired that. Neither maybe am I. A, he's a new he's a new pig. He's a new pig. Yeah, or maybe guy. he liked the Matrix. Neo, but isn't but, Neo like feels, mean like supreme or something too? I don't know. Well, like Neo was work. pretty supreme. Yeah. So he is a um, like a uh, digital artist, and he put together both pictures of the engines, the starship, all sorts of images of it flying and it doing its belly flop, and it is it's very cool. I totally recommend. We'll put this in the in the show notes, and this time we really will because I think we're getting our. S-H-I-T together so we can do this. But these renders are pretty impressive. And to the, to the point, Elon actually responded to him and said that he thought it was, quote, more great renderings, exclamation point. Um, and then after that, of course, the press picked it up and it went wild and um, helps to educate everyone about the launch. And there's even a good video on YouTube that you can watch to show the sort of launch and belly flop maneuver. And man, I still can't wait to see this thing because it is either going to be the most impressive rocketological event ever, or it's going to be the biggest bang when this thing flops and bursts into flame mm -hmm. and takes out probably much of the Boca Chica uh, facility. First off, rocketological, that is an amazing word, my friend. I am aghast and impressed, and the name of this show has now changed from Mel's tiny buttocks to rocketological yes. in, a, in just like in a heartbeat. In, in just Boom. like just like that, you switched it, you boomed it to rocketological. However, I have looked up the definition of Neo at dictionary.com and the definition at dictionary.com, a combining form meaning new, recent, revived, or modified. So he could be new pig, recent pig, revived pig, or modified pig, or maybe not even pig because maybe there's another name for pork, which there probably is. I'm not going to go into that in this okay, show. Okay, you were though, right. But just to... Just a little uh, sort of, you know, we'll throw a little grammatical uh, information into towards the end of the show. So it's the time in this show in which we get to media picks. And what I hope more than anything about these media picks is that my first media pick is not another plagiarized media pick from Robert, which I suspect it might be, but I'm going to move forward as if it's not. And if it is, I will once again have uh, the proverbial yoky, yoky loveliness of egg on my face. So my media pick based on and, and it's it's kismet that this happened because we opened the show talking about uh, dinosaurs and an asteroid hitting the Earth. And there's a new documentary by the amazing documentarian Warner Herzog on Apple TV called Fireball, which is 
a documentary about this very subject, about this meteor. They they believe it hit off the coast in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They found this giant craterial uh, situation there. Nice word. And so Werner Werner travels around the world looking for. Uh, stories about asteroids and meteors and stuff like that. It's really, really well done. I highly, highly recommend it. But what I will say, I have a question for you gentlemen about this, and I'm going to let Robert go first to answer this question, but it's it's another one of these quizzical type situations. Where is it in the world that is the easiest place for them to find meteors that have hit our planet? Uh, I'm going to go with Joel because he's got his Australia. Hand. Oh, oh, oh mm. sorry. Uh, ro- uh, sorry. One guess okay. per person. I apologize. Robert? Siberia. It's that's that's a very very close guess. Now you don't get another guess, Joel. I'm sorry. I mean you're waving your hands. Okay, I'll give you one more opportunity, Joel. One more. I should have known. It, it's Antarctica. Ah, it is Antarctica, and the reason is is because Antarctica is mostly uh, white in color, and meteors are mostly dark in color, so they really stand out in a contrasting way once they slam into the frozen tundra slash ice sheet. Uh, they're easy to spot. And and this documentary, it's so amazing. It shows this group of, of scientists walking across the ice in, in like a search party kind of format, and they come across it, and they are just overtaken with joy. It is, it's really an amazing, it's a really well done documentary What's the name again? Uh, about, it's called Fireball, and it's available on Apple TV. Now, Robert's got his hand up, so that means he's going to tell me that he already talked about this. Please, Robert, go right in. I was just going to compliment you on bringing this entire show around full circle, since initially I was speaking about dinosaurs extinction and it was the asteroid or the meteor it's an it was big ass piece of rock that fell just off the yucatan yeah it was huge huge and so huge amazing that you could switch up your media choices just to bring the show down to that close but my media pick is a back to the ancient i think my media pick may have started to be aired before many of our listeners were even born, maybe even before their parents were born. But I think it's a must-see. And it's an, the original show from PBS called Cosmos, A Personal Voyage, even though I didn't spell it right. Um, and this was a show written and uh, performed by Carl Sagan. And it is kind of campy. Uh, It doesn't have really good computer graphic special effects because there weren't any back then. And, um, but the writing is what's the best. And the enthusiasm through which Carl Sagan, uh, you know, exclaims about the history of science and the vastness of the cosmos and gives like a time clock. He sees it's like he makes a, a football field analogy and takes you through this. Like if, if the, if the football field was a calendar, like a calendar, the size of a football field and the big bang started at the far corner, the beginning of January 1st, we humans, the way we are now, what we know would be this like little tiny square, just inches across in the very 
end corner of December 31st. And so we have only been around for this tiny fraction of time. And then he talks about like how big the galaxy and the universe, it's wonderful. So I would super, super recommend it. If you have kids, it'd be a great thing to sit down. Everybody's got plenty of time right now to sit around and watch things. And you know, what's got to be maybe the best thing of it, best thing of the whole show is the soundtrack by Vangelis. <laughs> ah, Vangelis. Good old Vangelis. So where can the listeners find this show? Is it on their local PBS station? Like where, where is Cosmos currently being found on the interweb life of, of streaming? It's on docker.com. You can watch it all. D-O-C-U-R dot C-O. I think that must be in another country, dot C-O. I think that's dot Colorado is what that means. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my media pick? Yes, Joel. What is your media pick? Because it is it is the listener's favorite part okay. of the show, and you always have something good to add. Okay. So please. Um, so uh, there's somebody that I'm planning to interview uh, next week. Uh, his name's Eric Berger. He wor- He's a reporter for Ars Technica, but he wrote a book about SpaceX. And instead of me actually describing the book, I asked Eric to describe the book, and I'm going to play it for you now. Ooh. Media, media pick. So I've always been interested in SpaceX, but what really turbocharged that interest was seeing the Falcon Heavy launch in 2018. Um, it was certainly a spectacle with 27 Merlin engines firing at once, and then to see the two boosters you know, come back and land side by side. It was really at that moment that I fully and completely realized that SpaceX was indeed the transformative space company of our era and, and was changing this industry in profound ways. And that, that led me to think about where had they really come from? Now, obviously, Ashley Vance's biography of Musk told some of the story of the beginning of SpaceX and told it through Elon's eyes. But I thought it would be pretty, pretty helpful to go back and talk to the people he worked with in depth um, and tell the story more completely. Um, because they really were on a knife's edge for a number of years, and, and they did something, you know, building a private, privately funded liquid-fueled rocket from scratch is something that no company had ever done, and in fact, a lot of people had tried. Um, so I went to Elon and basically told him what I was thinking about doing and, and asked him if, you know, he would be willing to participate, and he was. He said, sure, and he said I should talk to everybody um, that I wanted to at the factory and, and former employees. And so that's what I did. Over the course of about a year, I talked to all of the early vice presidents, their assistants, dozens of people to sort of flesh out the story from the before the company began through the fourth launch of the Falcon 1 rocket, which ultimately was successful. And I have to say, it's a hell of a story. Um, what was, was really uh, great is that a lot of the people who were involved early on, the Tom Mullers, the Gwen Shotwells, the Hans Koenigsmans, but, but many other people as well whose names are less familiar, you know, really were interested in, in sharing their story and, and what, they, what they had accomplished. And I think it came together really nicely. Look at Jen. Look at you. Very next level, Joel. Very next So level. the book is called Liftoff, and uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk a little bit about it next week. But uh, I think um, Robert and I both saw um, that same launch that inspired him to write this book um we were there maybe we bumped into him we didn't know at the time but um uh definitely inspiring for sure 
Uh, mainly because I'm I think- sorry, Joel. You're not going to want to put in the part where we actually did see him and say, <laughs> "Dude, you should write a book about this." Is effing amazing. Oh yeah. Well, I wanted to be humble, but you know. Um, and uh, so I heard him talk a little bit about the book, and I think he's right because Ashley really more uh, Ashley Vance really talked a lot about uh, Tesla and more Elon and. Um, but not about the company. And so this will be kind of interesting to hear about the players that we don't necessarily know a lot about. Um, we definitely know about Gwen um, and Hans. Um, but then after that, this, the names sort of fall off a little bit. So it'll, it'll be interesting to hear. Um, his book is not available yet, and um, but you can... Advanced copies, Joel. Advanced copies, maybe, for, for, uh, for your interviewing. Uh, well, we can, we can try for sure. Um, What's it actually called? Um, it's called Liftoff uh, by Eric Berger, and you can find that where any, every um, where fine books are sold. You can pre-order, and if you do pre-order, then it it definitely helps um, him because I think the way it works is like if you do it on Amazon, all the pre-orders end up booking essentially on the first day that um, it's released, and then that helps get his book to like higher ranks, like you know your top ranks. Would it be important for us? Seller. Would it be important for us to maybe encourage people to buy this from like their local bookstore, or are we gonna tell people to to well, go I mean, if they, if they can go to their local bookstore if their local bookstore exists? Mm, yeah, well, then wanna... they should support that local yes, bookstore. Sure. I would even say, to a certain extent. You could ask your local library to carry this book potentially, and then more people can be exposed to it in that way that might not ordinarily purchase this book. There's a lot of venues these day and age to get books and to support uh, people, but we all know where people are going to go to find this book, Robert. They're going to take the road easiest traveled to the world's largest river named uh, company <laughs> on the planet. Uh, and so... So that's really great. And then I'd like to close this media picks by, I think, talking about uh, the Chappelle show. So I recently read an article about Dave Chappelle who reached out to Netflix. So Netflix is streaming the Chappelle show. HBO Max is streaming the Chappelle right. show. Dave Chappelle himself is not actually getting any money from any of this streaming because of the contract he initially signed. Good, bad, or indifferent. They're making money. The creator of this show should be making some money off of that. That's my personal opinion. So what he's asking us to not do is to not watch The Chappelle Show in its current form on any streaming service. He went to Netflix and said it actually made him feel bad that they were streaming his show uh, that CBS Viacom was was shopping around. And, and Netflix, because they have a good relationship with him, they took it down. They took it off of Netflix, which is actually pretty incredible. It's a great show. I really don't want to tell you not to watch it because it is a great show. But let's not watch it and see if we can get Dave paid for all the hard work that he and his comrades did producing this show uh, back back in the day. So that that's a little bit uh, weird. Again, I'd like to... Thank all the patrons for continuing to support. I'd like to thank Joel for uh, you know bringing all these new interviews and new energy to the show. I'd like to thank Robert for his consistency in his supercharger update. I really do think it's a wonderful, wonderful part of the show, and uh, I am super appreciative. And if I might, since we have uh, stocking stuffer time coming up, I sent out a tweet for a giveaway. 
We have a giveaway. So we can pick. We have a giveaway? Yes, we can. What are we giving pick away? Pick five of our Patreon supporters. And I want to ask you a question online, Joel, about Patreon supporters, because I was so confused. But we're going to pick five of our Patreon supporters. And to those five people, we are going to send from RPM Tesla a set of really nice metallic tire stem covers. They're really pretty. They're like Mm -hmm. metal knurled on the side with a T on the top and a couple of face masks just to keep you in the spirit, both for the holidays and for the pandemic. Are they Tesla face masks too? No, they are. They are made near the Tesla factory in China, but no, they don't say Tesla on them. And uh, I'll have to talk to Mark about that. You know, sorry, maybe sorry. he should really I shouldn't have get asked on the question. Get on the stick, Mark. Maybe you should be making some Tesla sorry. face masks. But you can get Tesla so, face masks on Etsy. So I sent out this tweet. I got a bunch of people responding to the tweet. And they said, oh, I want the red ones. I want the black and silver ones. And then they look cool. one guy said, I got the red one. And the red part popped off. And then dirt got in there and my valve got dirty. So I'm just going to make the executive decision that we're going to give away the knurled one piece without the popping off top silver type one and the face masks. We're going to pick your names like we did before from the Patreon supporters, and we're going to just send this stuff right out to you. Awesome. And speaking of the Patreon supporters, this is the the amazing part of this community that we have built over 188 some odd shows, plus a few live shows, plus about a million and a half Elon dailies. We, one of the winners of the of the tire repair kit from RPM Tesla sent an email to us. This was from Jim Schillinger. And he said, I'm a little bit behind, but I am overcome with emotion. I just heard now on your three hour show. (laughs) He listened to the whole show. This is like, this is some dedication. That number seven was the winner. And you went down the list. It was me, Jim Schillinger. And it was you, Jim Schillinger. He said, you're so kind, I'm barely a Patreon, and yet you reward me so richly. I have an idea to reduce the expense and the carbon footprint of sending it to me, and I know it's against your nature, but please really follow through with my wishes. I would like to gift it to Tom to help him with any tire experiences he has in the future. If he is unable to use it, please give it to Mel or Robert or your newest sidekick, Joel, but at least one of you really deserves it. My gifts to you. You guys are so amazing, entertaining, and education. At the same time, I can't imagine the cost, time, and effort you devote to the podcast. I feel privileged to have found you. Keep up the great work. Now, come on. We're entering the holiday season. A message like this just warms every part of you, right? It's it's recognition for all the hard work we've done. It's recognition uh for, for a three-hour show that he listened to the entire thing. And, and, and I even mentioned none of these people are going to know that they won because this is a three-hour uh-huh. show and they've and listened in. So that's, that's pretty amazing. And, and I, for one, am, am very, very grateful. And I'd like to make a correction. Uh, Stephanie with an O is pronounced Stephanie, not Stephanie. <laughs> Her dad wanted her name to look unique, but it is Stephanie. 
so she sent us a message via Twitter. So uh, thank you very much. She received her vehicle, a lovely Model nice. 3. And the next vehicle she buys is going to be a Cybertruck. She wants to use Robert's code for that. And, and I, out of the kindness of my heart to you, Robert, in this holiday season, sent her via direct message in Twitter, your code. So the next Tesla vehicle that Stephanie with an O purchases is going to be a Cybertruck with your name on it. So when you see that pop up, you will know that that is a Cybertruck going to a lovely person who is a longtime listener and big fan and supporter of this very show. And I'll be able to accurately pronounce her name because it has now been burned into my forehead. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. Well, I felt bad because I, I I didn't want it to feel like I was making fun of her. And she was very gracious. And she said that she didn't feel like I was making fun of her. She was actually grateful that I noticed there was an O in there. And so there, there you go. Um, so that's it. That's the end of this show. Unless anybody else has anything else to say, which I can't imagine you don't. But if you do, you can save it for the next show. And that would be Talking Tesla 189. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you to the patrons. Thank you to you gentlemen. Thanks to Mel, who has been gone from this show for about the last 45 minutes, who went to go see his son. And uh, two days from now, we'll... We'll sit down with our loved ones that we can sit down with and enjoy a, a wonderful time uh, of the year in this country for Thanksgiving, where we really should be thankful. It's been a very, very difficult year for all of us. And to have that time with whatever family you can, if you can't be with your family, Zoom with your family. We'll probably Zoom with one another for a minute or so on that day as well, and just enjoy spending some time together. I think... You know, do what you can to, again, flatten the curve, stay safe, keep our healthcare workers as safe as you possibly can and, and not overwhelmed. And, and happy holidays to everybody. Thank you all for listening. Agreed. <laughs>